I'm Jason McClellan. I'm a podcaster, author, TV personality, veteran UFO journalist, and a lover of punk rock music. And you're listening to Dead Hand Radio. All right. How you doing, man? Good. Nice to meet you, buddy. Nice to meet you. I really appreciate you doing this, man. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio. Absolutely, man. I am so excited to be here. That's awesome. There's a lot more to what you do than I know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, can you just give me a little bit of background on what you do and who you are? Absolutely. I would be very happy to do that. Um, so really, my start into the world of the weird, I'll, I'll describe it, um, really kind of is different than a lot of people because a lot of people it starts out is sort of a, a casual interest or a hobby. And for most people maintains that, uh, you know, that's all it ever, ever is or ever becomes, or it, you know, for the lucky few, it graduates into a profession. Um, I started out the world, uh, uh, the world, world of the weird in the world of UFOs as a profession. And it sort of found me. I was working for a, a company at a time doing, doing media and marketing. And the owner of that company knew my background, knew my skill set, and started telling me this great idea he had to start a company all about UFOs and extraterrestrials. Now, who hears that and doesn't have their ears perk up right away? I mean, that just doesn't happen. So, of course, they said, that sounds awesome. Tell me more. And, you know, after, after months of discussion and talking and putting things in motion, a company was started, we actually started a company that was a legitimate full-time company devoted 100% to UFOs and extraterrestrials. And this company became a full, full-fledged media company which you know, we, we had a, a website that we updated daily with, with the latest news related to UFOs and extraterrestrials. We published an internationally distributed print magazine that you could find in grocery stores and airports and all over the place. That was really cool. And then, you know, we also went into to other media too, you know, really into to web media heavily doing web series and podcasts and things like that. And it graduated into a lot of TV work and stuff too. So really we, we started this company that became like the center, the, the go-to company for all things UFOs and extraterrestrial life. And, you know, that was my full-time profession. I was, I was, you know, salaried to do this job benefits, everything. It was a real legitimate job. I know it doesn't sound like it, but this was a real company. I got paid for, you know, about six, seven years to do UFOs full time. And, you know, that was amazing. But like I said, that was my introduction to it. That's how I got started. So, you know, when I got hired to be part of this UFO company, I had to get up to speed pretty quickly because, you know, outside of pop culture and science fiction, um, I didn't really know anything about UFOs. I had seen some UFOs at that point, but I didn't really know anything about UFO history. I didn't know any of the, the key players in the UFO research field. No knowledge going into it. So I had to you know, do a lot of self-education really fast to get up to speed. And the way I did that was reading lots of books, um, meeting with lots of people. And I was in the unique position because of the company I was with to meet in person with a lot of these key players in the UFO field. And we also um, acquired the largest annual UFO conference in the world. 
And by doing that, you know, we were bringing in, you know, every year, 20 plus, almost 30 different speakers who were, you know, and are arguably the, the biggest movers and shakers, you know, of that particular year within the UFO research community. So I had access to all of these people, you know, really all the time and developed a lot of, you know, professional and personal relationships with all these guys and gals. So it, uh, it really brought me up to speed very quickly and gave me an education that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't have the, the uh, availability to do, the ability to have that sort of, you know, one-on-one interaction with a lot of these people. And also, I mean, we had a gigantic library in the office with all sorts of UFO related books um, from, you know, the past 40, 50 years. So it was a, a great resource. And certainly when I was writing articles for the magazine and, and you know, doing podcasts and, and web series, we had great resources to pull from either by looking into our own library and our own archives or by, you know, getting on the phone or sending an email to some of the people who actually researched these cases back when they happened. So it was a really cool sort of introduction to the field of UFO research for me. So that started me in my UFO <laughs> career. And like I said, that lasted for about six or seven years. And while I was with this company, you know, I, I certainly developed an interest and a love for all things strange. And that includes, you know, monsters and, and local lore and ghosts and, you know, anything strange. I, I'm a curious person and I love exploring the strange and, and you know, looking for those those unanswerable things that we have on our planet, let alone the universe. So, you know, I started exploring more some of the ghost stuff and things like that. But because of the company I was with, I was working under a, a, a non-compete agreement. Um, and it really restricted a lot of the, the things I could do, including TV, which, you know, as you mentioned, I did, you know, quite a bit of TV work, um, you know, with the History Channel, Sci-Fi, um, Nat Geo. But, and that was all UFO related, but still I was restricted heavily in what I could do and what I could, the the projects I could participate in at the time because of the company I was with. But I started branching out into ghosts and and other strange things because my restriction wasn't on other things. It was on UFO related stuff. So that, uh, you know, fed my my appetite for other strange things. And in doing so, um, Tom DeLong, from Blink-182 at the time, um, reached out to me because he was, you know, I, I interviewed him at that point. He was aware of my work and he was starting to put the pieces together to form a new company focused on UFO related things and strange related things, which we now know as To The Stars and, you know, grew into To The Stars Academy. But Tom contacted me and asked me to come and work for him and help him start this company. So that's what I did toward the end of my professional uh, full-time UFO career, career was help Tom DeLong in creating content for this new company as it launched into becoming To The Stars. So that was really cool. And you know, then uh, you know, after that, I sort of retired from professional work in the world of the weird. But once you get down that rabbit hole and you, you know, have had the weird and wacky career that I've had to this point, I can't really escape it, nor do I want to. You know, I've thought that I wanted to a few times here and there down the road, but it always pulls me back. You know, it's been such a big part of my life and I I just, you know, 
drawn by, by the mystery of it all, I can't leave it behind. So I still am very much involved. I do a, a UFO podcast. I have a, a strange media company now called Rogue Planet. And with uh, myself and my colleagues, we do all of this stuff. We do ghost hunting, we write articles, we do podcasts, we do web series. Um, and it's just a, a celebration of our, our shared love of all things weird. So, you know, that's what I do. And I, I still work. I'm working on a UFO book right now. I, I wrote one UFO book before, but UFOs, because it was, you know, my, my profession and I spent so much time and energy and I have so much love for the people in that field that that's always going to be my main focus is UFOs. And it still is. I, I love it. I have so much fun with it. Awesome. Well, uh, that kind of brings me up to speed um, on the UFO and the weird, the world of the weird. Uh, you also, I think I read something on your website that you have an interest or you've always had an interest in comic books and science fiction. Is that right? Science fiction more so. Comic books, yes. I, I never really got into comic books as a diehard fan, just more as a casual observer because I am a, an artistic person, a creative person. And from that standpoint, I love that medium. I love the art, you know, combined with the story. So I love, you know, the, the visuals, the aesthetic of graphic novels and comic books. And, you know, when that translates to film, um, you know, I'm just a fan of, of that medium, but not necessarily of any particular comic book series per se, but science fiction, absolutely. Science fiction, I guess, well, I don't know. I've never thought about where I would place it in my ranking, but uh, you know, I'm certainly a horror fan for sure when it comes to cinema, I love horror, but uh, science fiction is, is either number one or number two, yeah. And they, they do cross paths quite a bit. They do. So they you do. could have a, a lot of the best science fiction movies are also horror. Yeah. So they, they, yeah, they, they cross paths quite a bit. Uh, now the, um, the reason that I wanted to talk with you is because of, well, first of all, I talked with Shane Hurd a few months ago. He was a, a guest on the podcast to come on and we talked and, um, but I had known of your work through the Skinwalker Ranch podcast series that you did. Yeah, we did that as a combination um, audio podcast. And it also had the, the, the web series too on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. I watched that series every week i was hoping you guys would continue it but you're going to pick it up again when the the new season comes out hopefully hopefully yeah i mean skinwalker ranch is certainly a, a big interest of mine and you know i got turned on to that certainly back uh you know in, early in my ufo career um you know reading george knapp and colin kelleher's book about uh search for the skinwalker that really, I mean, I'd heard about it before, but reading that, you know, gave me all the details. And, you know, of course, George is a, is a really good friend and talking to him about it, talking to Colonel John Alexander, who was part of Bigelow's team on the ranch and, you know, spent a lot of time there. Um, you know, so having been able to personally interact with some of these people um, makes it all the more real, I guess, for me. Um, just knowing some of the details about this strange and spooky place where it's sort of a hub for all things paranormal, uh, for lack of a better term. And it's, it's always been a place that, you know, I'd like to go and that will probably happen 
one of these days soon. And, and certainly the invitation has been extended, uh, you know, and it's a, one of the great things about, again, doing the, the podcast and the, the web series was, you know, getting to know some of the guys on the ranch. And of course, Brandon, the current owner, um, you know, it, it makes that, that more of a reality uh, for me going forward. And that's always been a dream to do a podcast from Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, that would be a dream. <laughs> um, and to, to participate in the, in the work that they're doing out there, I think it's fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, there's a, a recurring guest I've had on, um, on this podcast, Jeremy McGowan. He is a UFO experiencer, um, military veteran, and he lives here in Las Vegas. Uh, so he and I connected and um, he's got plans to go out there and he's going to take a sky hub out there with him. Or I don't know if he's taking it with him or, or yeah. exactly what the details of that are, but uh, that's going to be interesting. Absolutely, man. Oh, that sounds so exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm such a geek when it comes to that stuff and I get really excited about, you know, trying anything when it comes to, you know, exploring the, the strange and mysterious, the paranormal, you know, trying all the new tools and all the new gadgets we can throw at it and just see what happens. Um, and Skyhub is so cool. Yeah, that, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, so your uh, interest in science fiction goes back to early childhood or did you childhood absolutely oh, okay. yeah for sure and i guess that's you know that that sparked my interest in in ufos and and in extraterrestrial life and space you know broadly um just thinking about how infinite space is and the infinite possibilities that that presents um and you know star trek the next generation was a, a big one for me um you know when it comes to science fiction television um Growing up, that's something that that really really impacted me and, and made me kind of look at the the universe a little differently and start thinking about possibilities. You know, because the way they present the future, number one, is cool, and that's something for me that you know is is appealing about science fiction is is imagining the future, um, and also the the geek in me loves all, all the technology and you know the future tech that's that's imagined as well that they throw in here and star trek the next generation has loads of that they have loads of of intelligent extraterrestrials right these extraterrestrial species that are just you know widely varying and they've all encountered each other and they somehow can communicate with each other and it's just fascinating to watch so yeah star trek played a played a big role in in uh, sort of fueling my interest in space for sure that show uh was that out in the 90s or? started in 87 87 the next generation yeah wow so you watch that you and even the early episodes and watch what they were doing with special effects and you know i mean i was lost in it at the time like and i watched that some of the reruns now and i'm like wait that was in the late 80s that's crazy i mean they did such a good job with that but even think about movies back to the future you know the first in that that trilogies that was i think 85 wow and I mean, you wouldn't know from that movie because it's it's so well done and it seems so high tech. Yeah. You know, with the flying DeLorean. Um, I mean, the effects in that are great, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. And they didn't have all the, the computer CGI that they have now. So they still right. did a pretty good job on a lot of those movies. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with Star Trek The Next Generation, that's part of what, what makes it so good um, for me personally is that realism that it brings by using, you know, a lot of models and a lot of, you know, physical sets and, and things that they have on that show that weren't CG. Yeah. Well, I even watch once in a while, I'll go watch um, the original series, mm-hmm. Star Trek. Yeah. And sometimes they, and I think back in those days, they used models like really small models with matte paintings. Yeah. In the backdrop. <clears throat> but some of those, some of those space, uh, based shots that they had were really amazing even yeah. for that and that came out in the 60s right late 60s yeah yeah so watching watching those scenes and watching some of the space stuff and in, in next generation as well i mean knowing what they did with models and miniatures it's just i mean it's so easy to get lost in it it looks yeah. so so real yeah uh you know and so a lot of people point to the technology because that's what really science fiction is kind of focused on. Uh, you know, you have the, the science part of it and the science has to be realistic. Uh, but then you got the stories too. And you could have a great science fiction idea, but if you don't have a good story to go along with it, how far is that really going to get? Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and that really, you know, separates just awful <laughs> science fiction from great science fiction. It's the stories and it's the characters. I mean, you've got to have great character development and characters that you actually care about and the great, a great story to go with it. Um, I don't know about you, but I am, well, first of all, I'm a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, but uh, The Running Man is such a great movie. That's this weird kind of bizarre future um, where, you know, they have prisoners playing in a, a you know, a television game show. Um, that's weird and wild. And, you know, it has a lot of, I don't know, there are all sorts of Cold War things we go into here with, with some of these movies, but Total Recall is one of my favorites, you know, under Schwarzenegger, because that, you know, is a science fiction that's in space. I mean, they go to Mars, um, you know, but they, they deal with all of this these weird topics, you know, that you'll see recurring in a lot of science fiction. It's, uh, you know, collapse of civilization, rebuilding society, class struggles, global conflict, threat of, uh, you know, nuclear annihilation. So. Oh, yeah. So, so the Running Man takes place on Mars? No, not Total Recall. Oh, Total Recall. Okay. Total Recall. I, yeah. yeah. You, you did say Total Recall. I totally missed that part. Um, yep. No, I transitioned it to Total Recall there. <laughs> yeah. But. yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I love both of those movies. I'm a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan too. And yeah. he seems to be like the king of sci-fi through the late 80s, early 90s, um, from Terminator to Predator to total recall and you know he yeah was, you're right he because was a lot of his, his his action movies blend action and sci-fi yeah, yeah that's awesome yeah yeah um so and the two movies you suggested uh total recall and the running man i think those are both based on philip k dick novel or short stories i think you're right i yeah. think you're right actually yeah I, I love philip k dick's work um yeah i'm not a huge reader uh-huh. i listen to audiobooks um, but when I was a kid, I used to read like crazy. And, um, so now I listen to audiobooks. but I think my love for science fiction started out in through movies. I think I, I 
started watching, you know, early on, I don't know, is Godzilla considered science fiction? I would think so. Yeah, I think so. Because isn't he so. a, a mutated monster yeah. from the atomic yeah. bomb? So that would be science fiction. See that, that definition of what is science fiction, what is not sometimes falls into the gray area. Yeah. Still trying to still trying to work out those details. <laughs> what is it for you? I mean, besides Star Trek, uh, I, and I think I'm a little bit older than you. I was born in 66, uh, grew up in the seventies. So, you know, I had, I, I watched on TV. I didn't have VHS or anything like that. So I watched things on TV when they were airing. Uh, so, like I said, I had the original King Kong, uh, Godzilla movies, old, really, if you look at it now, it, it's kind of cheesy science fiction. But back then when I was a kid, I used to love that stuff. What was it for you that introduced you to science fiction? I think, you know, it probably had a lot to do with, um, I guess probably, probably my, my parents loved to watch a lot of movies. And, you know, growing up in the, the early 80s, you know, that was a, a prime time for a lot of great great science fiction. Um, so that's probably what it was. Um, I mean, Star Wars was probably my first introduction to it, I would say. Um, the original Star Wars trilogy. That really, really got me into it. But yeah, just, I mean, we, that was, I grew up in, in rural, uh, you know, sort of the outskirts of, of Phoenix, um, way out in the middle of the desert, there was nothing there. Um, so our entertainment was mainly just watching movies. And, you know, we'd, our, our weekend fun was going into town and, and uh, going to the video store and renting videos and rent, even by, at, at that time, renting a VHR or VCR because we didn't have one or beta player, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, getting, getting videos and then amassing our own uh, video collection and we just watch and rewatch and rewatch all of these movies where we had, you know, all the lines memorized. So that was just kind of the way to, way to kill time. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I did watch some VHS movies uh, later on. Um, for, for me, it was later on because in the seventies we didn't have VCRs. Yeah. Uh, but uh, once the VCRs did come out, yeah, I was uh big fan of blockbuster movies i'd go down there and hang out for i don't know like a library man i would just hang out yeah. in there and look at all the cool covers yep. and uh pick out a, a movie or two and then take them home and wear them out <laughs> watch them over and over that was that was huge you know for i mean for for every genre but i mean for me that was huge and for for science fiction be able to go into the video store and browse the the boxes, right? The cover art. Yeah. And get an idea for, oh, you know, that, that looks a little spacey. That, that could be some sci-fi right there. That looks pretty good. Definitely. Yeah. And that's another thing about, um, you know, the, you, you talked about the artwork for comic books and how that's, uh, you know, always been a draw. Same thing for me. I'm always, I've always been a big, I'm looking at some comic books right in front of me, uh, part of my collection. I got to, pretty good collection of comic books but the artwork nice. for me is what drew me to the comic books the artwork whenever i would go to the bookstore and, and try to find a novel to read the artwork was always what would capture my imagination first and then 
um, jump into the story and fall in love with those stories. I know exactly what you mean. Cause I'm, I'm a visual person for sure. And uh, you know, I mean, when I go to like a, you know, a giant, giant liquor store too, like total wine or BevMo or something on the same way, I'm just glancing at these thousands of, of labels and, you know, cover art basically. And uh, that's, that's dictating what my, my purchase. Well, Oh, that looks like that could be good. Like, like a label tells you something's good, but uh, you know, and I, with uh, especially beer now, there are so many craft brewers and they get so creative with the, the labels that there's a lot that are, you know, basically like comic art on beer. And, you know, that'll, that'll draw me in right away. I'll be all, oh, that looks like a great one. I'm going to get that one. And even if I think it's pretty awful, I, I think I, would, I like it more than I otherwise would because it's got good art on it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh yeah, I, I'm not much of a beer drinker. I do have a favorite beer. Um, it's a local brewer, brewery here in Las Vegas, and it's called Rogue, I think. I think the name of the brewery is called Rogue. But it's, uh, it's uh, the brewery is in the Mob Museum. Underneath the Mob Museum, they have a little Oh, that's cool. I think I've been there. there. I think yeah. I've been there. Yeah, and they have their own beer. And uh, it's a hazelnut blonde that i that i like uh but you can't find it it's you know you can get it there and one or two spots in las vegas it's really not easy to come by that makes it special though yeah but as far as the artwork on that one i don't i didn't really pay attention to the artwork <laughs> i didn't think it was it was that great but i do know what you mean by looking at uh different artwork as a representation of what a product is are you an artist yourself? Well, I'm. I'm. A, I describe myself as a creative person. Um, I, like you, I wear many hats, and you know my skill set has kind of been made been made broad over my career. So you know I dabble in photography, I dabble in video, I dabble in audio. I, I um, have recently started trying to to illustrate more because that's not something that I've ever been good at. So I've recently started trying to um, work on that, and I'm, I'm you know trying to become a, an iPad artist. <laughs> so you know using Procreate and working with some digital tools. But uh, you know I I am more a digital artist. That's what I've always been. I I like to build things and uh, you know create things in, in Illustrator or Photoshop, but uh, not really don't really describe myself as an artist rather than an artistic person. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, were you going to say something about the beer? Yeah. So speaking about uh, labels and, and bad beer, <laughs> Roswell has this beer, uh, the Roswell alien beer, and it looks awesome. You know, and when you go to Roswell, you, you have to get this beer because you're in Roswell. I mean, it's cool. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, don't judge a beer by its cover. <laughs> is well, that the moral I mean, of the story? I think that that is is the important moral here. But uh, I'm always willing to try it out. You know, I'll, sure. I'll reward good art. That's a that's a good philosophy. Yeah, I, I'm willing to try almost anything once. If I don't like it, I'm not really going to try it again, though. You learn your lesson. That's yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um so going back to talking about the, the, uh, oh man, total recall, forgot about that. Uh, 
did you see the remake of it with Colin Farrell? I did see it. And to be honest with you, I think I only saw it once and I don't think I remember anything about it. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I would suggest you check it out again if you get an opportunity because right. the first time I saw it, I didn't really like it because I compared it to the Arnold to the original. Movie. Yeah. That's a mistake because it's yeah. a different movie. I mean, similar, similar concepts where he gets his mind wiped and that kind of Hearing you say that, I think I remember having that reaction. And I I have that reaction with a lot of remakes where, you know, I have this opinion that on its own, it's a great movie. And they should have just created this new movie without trying to make it another, this, you know, a, a movie that already happened. By tying it to something that's already been created and giving it that name, it sets these expectations and it, 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 it's really unnecessary, in my opinion, with a lot of these movies. And I think that was one of them where call it something else and it's a great movie on its own. Yeah, that is, that is a very astute point because uh, there, there are a lot of remakes, <clears throat> like you said, that just fall short of the expectation because it's connected with something previously. Yeah. Um, but then there are some remakes that just blow away the original. So like for an example, the thing, the John Carpenter thing. Yeah. Okay. That movie is one of my favorite all time sci-fi horror. And it's based on the original, the thing from another world, which I also like that movie. Yeah. But and, and I think in its day, it was a pretty groundbreaking achievement. Mm-hmm. I just rewatched it the other day. That's why it's fresh in my mind. That's awesome. And the John Carpenter movie I watch like every other month or something because I like it that much. That's awesome. Yeah, I love Carpenter so much. Oh, yeah. yeah. But to compare the two movies, I like the thing a lot better just because the visual effect or actually the practical effects they used in that film incredible the the alien monster that was all practical they didn't do any kind of cgi in that movie it was made in the late 80s wasn't it yeah i think so and what they did you know in talking about horror um what they did with special effects with horror in the 80s late 70s and and into the 80s is just amazing and there's some great documentaries about that that uh, you know show some of the behind the scenes stuff and show what's for these visual effects people accomplished and it's awesome yeah yeah uh, there's so many good movies we could talk about, man. Well, speaking um, about remakes, I mean, what, what did you, what's your opinion of the uh, Battlestar Galactica series? Oh, the, I love it, 2000, man. 2004. Yeah, that's a, that's a superior uh, series to the original, in my opinion. I love it. I agree. I agree. I think they did such a good job with, uh, with the visuals, first of all. I mean, it's awesome to watch through that. But um, the characters they have, the acting, it's just, it's, it's really good. You know, I never really got into the original Battlestar, but, but uh, yeah, the remake, you know, just does such a great job with that storyline. Yeah, and I think the original... See, the, I, I watched the original on TV when it came out because I was a kid at that time. So yeah. I loved it, you know, I mean, but there were parts of it where it was a little hokey. Uh, I think there was, I, I might be confusing this with another series, but I think there was a, a robot dog in that sh- series. 
in the battle know. the original Battlestar Galactica. I think I there was know. a little kid who had a robot dog and and that kind of made it a little kind of goofy. <laughs> Come on, it's the future and it's science fiction. <laughs> right. You can do anything. Right, but the robot dog had a had a human inside of it. So <laughs> I mean, you know, you could tell that it wasn't but but i did love the series you know i'm not i'm not taking anything away from it i loved it as a kid but the uh the the remake was more of an adult focused uh, science fiction series um and they went a little bit different direction with it when they started giving the robots sentience those those robots became sentient and in the original the robots were just robots controlled by something else. I think other humans, evil humans or something like that. I, I don't really remember because that's going so far back. Yeah. I mean, when you give, give the, the robots total control, it, it gets dark fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. With that, since you mentioned that, because uh, we're talking about science fiction, we, we touched on the cold war a little bit, uh, that's enough. That's good enough for me. I mean, um, you talked about the the post-apocalyptic possibility of nuclear annihilation. Um, Battlestar Galactica, collapse of civilization and rebuilding society. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. But uh, looking forward at science fiction, um, a couple of the things that we see represented really strongly in today's science fiction are uh, artificial intelligence. Um, but how, where do you see the future of science fiction in the next five to 10 years? It's really driven by society and, you know, technological advances. Um, you know, I mean, you look at cold war stuff, um, you know, it's really the, uh, the arms race, you know, the space race, um, the race to develop bigger and better rockets, and the onset of the space age that, uh, you know, created a lot of these great ideas about grand space voyages and things because it was becoming maybe a thing that could happen, but it was still thought as this far off futuristic thing. When the space age started, that really started to blur the lines between science fiction and reality, you know? So we started going to space and then I think the ideas expanded from there. Okay, we're in space now. Now what do we do? Where can we go with that? And then we start exploring, you know, these these far off worlds with far off alien life, and um, you know, so I mean, we're already doing space. Uh, we're dealing with with robots and and AI now. But when that becomes like a norm, I don't know where we go from there. I mean, we're already exploring some of these crazy, complicated ideas of like parallel universes and alternate realities. And so I don't know where you go from there, you know, uh, until we get a glimpse of, of something else that, that could possibly be reality. Um, you know, I don't know where the story goes from there. You made so many uh, important connections right now in, in your in your last statement um that i'd like to drill down a little bit on some of what you said because you talked about the space race and how it was not only influenced by science fiction because i think Vern von braun 
got his love of rockets uh, from reading science fiction. And then the, the, um, the space race itself, us going into outer space, launched a whole new wave of science fiction. Um, the the uh, potential for nuclear annihilation also created a whole new genre or subgenre, which was the radioactive wasteland of yeah. the post-nuclear war. Uh, so you tied those in really nicely with that, with that statement. Um, do you think reality influences science fiction more than science fiction influences reality or the other way around? It's a really good question. And I, I think the, the unsatisfying answer is I think it goes both ways. And I can't, I can't tell you how many um, people who work at NASA I've met over the years who tell me that the reason that they got interested in space, number one, and then number two, wanted to work for NASA is because of Star Trek. Star Trek is what gave them that love, that interest, that passion for space and for space travel and for space exploration that you know brought them to the career they're in now, making Star Trek reality by working on spaceships and taking us into space and doing all this research, but also look at technology. I mean, there's so much technology that, you know, every year there's so many articles written about how, you know, Star Trek technology was uh, depicted in Star Trek or in other science fiction now exists. You know, the, the iPhone for the longest time was equated to like a tricorder because you know that's really where a lot of the inspiration comes from but a lot of tech that's developed you know is inspired by science fiction by tech we see in science fiction and that's you know an image of the future that's been created and so people when they think of future tech <laughs> think about what did i see on on the movie um, from the future you know, automatic sliding doors and, you know, voice activated this. And I don't know. So I, I think uh, science fiction heavily influences reality. But at the same time, I think reality has, uh, you know, a pretty strong effect on science fiction too. And, you know, I see that a lot in UFOs, with UFOs. UFOs and pop culture is, is something that I look at a lot. And, you know, even will go to like Comic Cons and give talks about UFOs and pop culture or real life X Files or things like that. But the UFOs and pop culture is interesting because I do like to look at that question um, with UFOs and, and talk about whether, you know, UFOs um, influence pop culture or pop culture influences UFOs. Um, and it kind of goes both ways. You know, there are uh, plenty of, of Hollywood movies that were influenced by allegedly real life things, um, real life UFO incidents. Um, and then, you know, there are plenty of people who like to argue that in pop culture and the, the general public, um, our opinions of UFOs and, and what extraterrestrials look like is influenced by what we see depicted by Hollywood. But then you go back and see where these people who made the movies got their influence and it's from allegedly real cases. So it's a fun back and forth. Yeah, that's, that is an interesting tie-in. Uh, and I'm not opposed to covering UFOs on this podcast because 
I mean, what's more interesting, in my opinion, than UFOs? And what are UFOs? That, I mean, I, there, there are so many um, possibilities of what they are, and they could be all of them, right? Yeah, I think, I think the, the real and logical answer to, to UFOs is it's a lot of everything. There's <laughs> not just one answer to what are UFOs. Yeah. And, you know, UFOs are fascinating, and it's a fascinating thing to look at sociologically and, you know, from, from a, a general public and pop culture standpoint, because here we are in, you know, 2020 right now, and just in recent, the, the past couple of years, we've had the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, the Navy, all coming out with official statements, you know, related to incidents that happened in the past decade, um, acknowledging that there are things in our airspace that we don't know what they are. We can't identify them. We can't intercept them with our best fighters, and we really can't do anything about them. They're there. We don't know what they are. <laughs> that's it. And, you know, that's, that's pretty alarming, I, I have to say. Um, but still, to a lot of people, despite that, and, and a lot of people don't know that still, even though, you know, if you're even lightly into this subject, you've seen a lot of these headlines happening and the New York Times articles and all this stuff. I mean, it's all over if you look. But there, there's still, still established uh, public opinion or viewpoint is that UFOs don't exist. And we are way beyond that. It's not, it's not a conspiracy, it's not conjecture. We know it's documented the US government and governments around the world study this stuff. There are UFOs flying around in the sky and we have no idea what they are and we can't do anything about them. That is the reality. So, you know, it's funny when we're stuck back at the initial question of uh, do UFOs exist or are UFOs are real when, you know, that's not the question anymore. <laughs> but for a lot of people it is. But to your point, yes, I when it comes to UFOs, I think it's all of the above. I think there is no one answer to what these things are. Every UFO is different. And I, I don't want to... Um... You know, I really wanted to have you on to talk about science fiction, pop culture, and stuff like that. Because I know you do UFOs on your podcast, and your podcast is amazing. Um, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's one of the few podcasts that I listen to immediately when it comes out, unless I miss it. <laughs> you know, every once in a while I miss it, but I, I usually have it in my uh, downloads so that when it comes out, I listen to it right away. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, man. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love it. Um, cause you have different perspectives on it, but again, I, I didn't bring you on here to talk about UFOs, man. I brought you on here to talk about science fiction, pop culture. And, um, but I do have one other question. Do you think people who believe UFOs are not real even deserve the, uh, the time it takes to explain to them why they need to change their opinion? <laughs> I totally get that question. And uh, no, that's, that's fine. And I think a lot of that comes down to just what the established norms are. And for whatever reason, a lot of people are stuck in what the norms have been or, or what they've always been told. And, you know, for a lot of people, when I hear, you know, that this resistance or, or, you know, refusal to believe that UFOs exist, um, 
they have no interest in looking into it for themselves and looking at the information and evidence that is out there. And like I said, not like conspiracy websites, not things that, that Uncle Jim Bob says, but what your own government says. You know, uh, there's just this refusal to have the mind changed on an issue like this. And, they, you know, a lot of the common responses is, are, um, you know, if, if they existed, we'd see it on the news or we'd hear about it from, from the military. Well, that happens all the time. The military talks about UFOs all the time. The news media outlets around the world cover UFOs every single day. It's there. You just don't look at it. And I get that. I get that. We hyper-focus on the things that we're interested in or the things that you know we normally look at or follow. For me, if something happened with, I don't know, uh, Beyonce or the Kardashians, like I would have no idea because if I'm scrolling and I see something about that, it's not my interest. I keep scrolling. You know, I'm not going to click on it and read an article about it because that's not my interest. So I get it. If people see something about UFOs, they probably roll their eyes when they see UFO and say, eh, I don't care about that because that's not real. And they move on. I get it. People focus on what they're interested in. And until they take the time to do the research for themselves, then they're not going to change their minds. And you know what? For somebody like me who dedicates a lot of time to researching and writing about this topic, I sound like a broken record a lot of times, but I love to remind people in the UFO field that it's not mine or anybody else's role or responsibility to change the minds of anybody when it comes to UFOs, because UFOs is not a religion. It doesn't need me or anybody else to convert people to our side of belief and force people to believe a certain way because UFOs is not a religion. You know, if people want to look into it and, you know, do their own research and have their minds changed, that's great. Good for them. They don't need to. And I don't need to waste my time trying to convince them. My role, as I see it, is to put out information, to share information that, that I uncover or, you know, bring people along my journey because UFOs and anything strange and paranormal, it's an individual journey. It's different for everybody. We all have to take responsibility and bring in information that's presented to us and listen to different people presenting that information and decide for ourselves individually what information we're going to assimilate into our beliefs and let that, you know, uh, change or modify or, or have no effect at all on, on the beliefs that we have. Because at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff that is still in the mysterious realm of, of the paranormal, it is a belief. I said it's not a religion, and it certainly is not, but it still comes down to belief. It's what we individually choose to believe and what we choose to do with that information we're presented. So I present information and let people make up their own minds. Fair enough. That's a, that's a fair answer. Well thought out. I, it sounds like you have had that conversation with other people before. <laughs> oh, it's something that comes up a lot and it's something that I think about a lot, but uh, yeah, it is, it is something that can really be frustrating for a lot of people in the UFO field, especially when they first get into it. You know, they, they 
get excited because they're discovering all this information for the first time and they want to share it with everybody and they can't understand why people aren't getting as excited as they are. But, you know, in the end, we have to understand that we're all, all individuals. We have our own individual likes and dislikes and, you know, the things we're interested in and people are going to come to it on their own time or not at all. And it, it, you know, if they don't, that's fine. It doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> I'm one of those people that's pretty enthusiastic about it and, I will still talk to people uh, about UFOs being real and they look at me like I'm weird, you know, like I'm crazy. And I just say, Hey man, it's in the news. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not reporting it. I'm just telling you what I saw Absolutely. And what's being reported. Uh, they still look at me like I'm weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, little Andy, <laughs> yep. you, you no, want to believe the, what you want to believe. The stigma <laughs> around that topic is still very real and very strong. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, so again, that's the last question I have on you for UFOs. Um, any other questions I have, maybe I will bring you back on and drill you about a hundred other questions I have. Well, that sounds like a plan to me, but if you want to loop back to, to you know, science fiction for a little bit, uh, we can do that because I, I could talk about a, a couple of things, you know, like uh, one of my favorite pop culture things to, to bring up is, well, Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg is an interesting guy in that he is hugely interested in the UFO topic and extraterrestrials. Um, and yes, he did make extra make, make ET the movie. Um, the interesting thing about ET that I always love to bring up is that his original concept for that was something much darker, something much more sinister. Um, and the original concept for ET was this creepy looking creature that uh, you know would have scared children, but when they decided to make ET more kid friendly, uh, that went away. But that that creepy image uh, became gremlins. You know the the creatures we see in gremlins, and the thing about that creature is that it's based off of the uh, UFO incident that happened in 1955, the Kelly Hopkinsville, Kentucky incident, where this family was terrorized by these three foot tall aliens with these upright pointy ears and claws, and and the family had like a shotgun battle with them because they were bouncing around outside and they could float through the air, and they were these little green guys, so they they kind of helped popularize the the little green men. Uh, you know, saying, calling aliens little green men. It wasn't the origin, but it popularized it. But uh, yeah, those those creatures are, you know, essentially gremlins. They became what we see in gremlins. So that's one of Spielberg's things that was based off, you know, kind of based off a real encounter. But, uh, you know, close, close encounters, that's, uh, you know, heavily influenced by reality. Um, you know, J. Allen Hynek, who was the government science advisor for Project Blue Book, the, the Air Force's official UFO investigation, it has a cameo in that movie. And the, uh, the scientist in that movie, the main scientist, is based off of Jacques Vallée, who is an author and, and uh, you know, legendary UFO researcher. So there's lots of reality in that movie. One of my favorite movies, I saw it when I was a kid. And some people say that that movie is considered a docudrama right because it has so much uh just 
reality in it. And, and it hits on so many of the UFO tropes, the UFO world uh, tropes, like the government conspiracy, the cattle mutilations was represented in there by all the, well, they didn't show the mutilations themselves, but the, all the cows on the side of the road, you know. But the thing that really stands out for me in that movie is the visual or the special effects that they did. Again, yes. all practical, uh, an incredible display of uh, filmmaking genius, in my opinion. And, you know, it was uh, actually one of the one of the first, if not the first depiction of a typical gray alien. I didn't know that. That's yeah, and they, they took they took it, um, I think, from from uh, descriptions they read in, in witness and uh, witness descriptions from people who claim they encountered aliens. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's another movie I could watch, uh, you know, endless number of times just because, well, the soundtrack is brilliant. The the visuals in that movie are. Are stunning and, you know, the only thing complaint that i had when i was younger i don't it doesn't bother me now but the only complaint i had when i was younger is why weren't there more uh ufos in that movie <laughs> but, but you have this i don't know it was it was like 10 or 15 minutes of you know ufos buzzing around the mountains in uh what is that place devil's tower right wyoming right and I think it's wyoming yeah i think it's wyoming but uh yeah, it's just an incredible display of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite movies right there. Oh, that movie is so well done. Um, you know, it's it's funny, but I, I love to, when I think about my favorite UFO movies, one that probably doesn't come to mind for a lot of people, but it's definitely one of mine, is Disney's Flight of the Navigator. Because, you know, and and I didn't grasp it, you know, at the time when I watched this, when it came out, um, but it is an alien abduction movie, right? I mean, it's a, it's a UFO movie. It's an alien abduction movie where this, uh, you know, advanced technology, this technological alien <laughs> abducts this boy and, you know, the boy has missing time. And then, you know, the government takes him and wants to perform tests on him. And it, it's, it's very interesting, uh, you know, how it, puts a lot of reality, alleged reality, you know, stories from, from uh, alleged abductees. And it's, I don't think it's, uh, you know, been officially confirmed, but it's been speculated that it's based off uh, a real incident from a guy named Daniel Fry from 1949, I think. Um, a, lot of, a lot of parallels there. Um, in this case, the guy claims that a ship landed in front of him on the 4th of July in Flight of the Navigator that takes place on the 4th of July. Um, this guy claims that when he touched the, the metal UFO, the metal ship, he heard the voice of an alien named Alan um, who sounded very human. And in Flight of the Navigator, the alien's name is Max. He calls him Max and he has a very human voice. If you think Paul Rubin has a human voice. <laughs> uh, and, uh, this guy, Daniel Fry, was invited aboard the, the UFO, and he claims that it took him from New Mexico to New York City in 30 minutes, and he could see everything below him as he flew, like the, the metal ship became transparent, and you see that in Flight of the Navigator. So, 
That is uh, a theme that I've heard in several abduction uh, cases, you know, in recounts of, of abduction cases that the craft becomes transparent. Um, and you do see that in a cut. There's a couple of movies where you see that represented. And I just saw a, a movie where that was done really well. And I cannot remember the name of the movie, but um, that is such a cool idea to have a, a, you know, a spacecraft or even if it was a, a plane where you'd have the, the skin of the, the craft that you're flying in just fade away and you're seeing outside, you know, of, of where you're traveling. That would be- I think that's so cool. And you know, they're actually working on like real life tech to do that. Um, they've talked about doing that on like airliners of the future, right? Having window, it's basically a windowless cabin, but you know, digitally they project what's outside and it sort of encompasses the walls of your, the walls of the, the plane. So it's like, you're just floating through the air. It's amazing. So that that's an interesting idea. And here's my, my, I don't know, my, my skepticism, my skeptical brain. Yeah. Okay. How long is it going to take for people to have that experience and it no longer has that wow factor, you know, right? because you, you, people fly, you know, thousands of miles a year and how many, how many flights are they going to be on a plane where they can look out and see, you know, up Everywhere. in the sky, like they're flying like yeah. Superman. <laughs> and yeah. then sooner or later, they're just like, hmm. No big deal. I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch that movie or read this book instead. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen pretty fast. I mean, you know, we as humans, especially these days have short, short attention spans. And uh, you know, after we've experienced something, we're, we're on to the next thing. So yeah, sadly, I can see that, that, uh, that wow factor going away pretty fast, but man, I, I welcome it. I, I oh, would yeah. love that. Yeah. That, uh, that see again, technology, taking its uh taking its ideas from science fiction right yeah or i mean if you consider alien abductions real taking it from reality right. and science fiction taking the idea yeah yeah were you uh or are you a fan of the uh netflix series stranger things oh yeah yeah i love that show yeah so that's that's another one that you know talking that's, about that's right in line with the cold war yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, looking at the Montauk project, if if that's even a, a real thing, which maybe it is, but more so with MK Ultra, you know, that that is right in with the Cold War, the CIA mind control program in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, where they administer psychoactive drugs like LSD to test subjects. They'd use sensory deprivation. You know, you see that in in Stranger Things with the sensory deprivation tanks um torture and other awful things and and a lot of the subjects they they did this to were u.s soldiers right unknowingly uh giving soldiers drugs uh, but they did it to college students homeless people and a wide variety of others who they considered expendable and they even uh placed people these expendable people in secret detention camps that they created and uh 
this isn't something that was like underground and happening in like dark alleys and stuff. It was happening at universe, major universities and hospitals and prisons. Um, it was just horrific. And, you know, they were, it was all, all in the name of, of, of mind control and, you know, working against, uh, against the Soviets, really trying to come up with things to combat the Soviets. But yeah, I mean, it resulted in Senate hearings in the late 70s and had lawsuits that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. I mean, it is a very real thing. And again, this is something that, you know, if people don't look into, they think, ah, not interested in that. That's a, that's a bunch of silly stuff like UFOs. But guys, the documents are there. So many documents. This was a CIA program. And you can go and find all sorts of documents that were only really declassified um, in the past 20 years, I think. Um, but there, there's so much documentation about it. It was really, really awful. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, it's a little bit mind blowing when you think about the some of the programs that the U.S. government funded and and started in the pursuit of defeating communism. Uh, it's almost as if they chose to become the evil that they were fighting to defeat that evil. Right. Um, luckily. There were some people who decided to pull back from that those ideas, um, but not before many people had gotten hurt and died because of it. Yeah, LSD LSD was the drug that that was used in a lot of that MK Ultra early MK Ultra trials. Yeah, and that drug it it changes people's perspective in a way that sometimes doesn't end well, and without having, hey, you know, that's why we have the FDA. You know, they, those drugs have to be tested before they're distributed to the public. Mm -hmm. um, so you hear people railing against government oversight and, you know, regulatory bodies like the FDA, but those things really are there to protect us from, yeah. from things like the MKUltra debacle. Uh, yeah, well said. So, um, but you know when when you see those things done in science fiction again that is art emulating or or mim uh, what is what is the term imitating yeah. imitating imitating real life uh it's it's fun to watch uh you know in a movie if it's fiction but it's it's disturbing to find out that that actually really happened that's a big topic that i uh, am determined to cover at some point, because I've done a lot of research on that area. Oh, that's um, awesome. I don't know if I'm going to have a guest on or if I'm going to do a monologue episode for that, but there's a ton, like you said, there's a ton of research out there on that topic. Yeah, lots of government documentation. So it's, if you want to dive into it, it's, it's pretty fascinating, pretty fun, and pretty terrifying. Have you done anything on your show about the MKUltra program? A little bit here and there, and and certainly it's it's something I like to talk about a lot at Comic Cons and stuff because again, like the general public doesn't really know about that. Um, you know, with Stranger Things being so popular right now, you know that's a, a fun one to bring up with people. Um, it really really opens a lot of eyes and you know gets a lot of jaws on the floor. People find it hard to believe that our government could do something like that. And you know, I I encounter that with current. Uh, UFO issues too, where, you know, things will happen and uh, 
you know, people are resistant to the idea that our government would, uh, you know, put puts put its own soldiers in harm's way. We're the good guys, well, man. We, we don't we don't hurt our own our yeah. own people. Well, they they've done it many times before. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, would you like to share something any in a current project that you're working on and getting ready to drop on the public or um, any upcoming appearances that uh, you're going to be doing anytime soon? Yeah, sure. So unfortunately, you know, because of uh, pandemic times, <laughs> it's really, really canceled, uh, you know, any, any fun travel or appearances or anything like that. So that's not happening anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, I have tried to, to uh, start putting out more, more content. And like I said, I, my, my interests are broad. So I do try to keep busy with UFOs. And I do have my, my UFO podcast. And that is the focus of, of what I do mostly. But I do have these other interests. And because of that, uh, I recently launched uh, a new web series called The Rogue Planet Show. And that is more broad in its scope, uh, bringing in, you know, a lot of, like I mentioned, my other interests. So ghosts and, 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 uh, cryptozoology, you know, different monsters and local lore and, and different, uh, you know, fun things like ghost hunts and, you know, things that me and my, my team at Rogue Planet like to do. So we recently launched that on our YouTube channel. I also, relaunched a show I do with my friend, uh, author and, and spaceflight historian, Amy Shira title. And that is called the punk rocker moon stomper program. And that came together, uh, you know, it's just sort of this hodgepodge show where we can blend our shared interests of punk music, ska music, uh, space, booze, <laughs> animals, video games, whatever else we want to talk about. And we have guests on to talk about all these things with us. And it's interesting because we'll bring in, say, a, a musician, like a punk musician who also has an interest in space. And we had somebody on the show, uh, you know, before we rebooted it, who is a, is a guy in a punk band. But when he's on tour, he has a telescope on the tour bus with him because he's an astronomy junkie. And, you know, that, that kind of thing is fun to hear because in these interviews, anytime, you know, this person is interviewed, usually interviewed about his band, the music he plays, not really about space and astronomy and the telescope he keeps on the bus. So it's bringing these people in who have our shared interests uh, and talking about the things that, uh, you know, people don't, don't necessarily know them for, like brewers who have an interest in space or, uh, you know, space people who have an interest in punk rock. So kind of a fun, fun show. And it uh, is a casual conversational thing that, uh, you know, is really just kind of a release for me, um, you know, to be able to have those casual conversations rather than, you know, something more, more serious, more scripted, more researched, like, uh, you know, I like to do with, with UFO topics. Um, but then I'm also, I mentioned at the top, I'm, I'm working on a new book and it's, it's a slow process. Um, it's really hard for me these days to get into the, the writing headspace, but uh, I do have a new UFO book in the works. I wanted to have it ready uh, by the end of the year. I don't think that's going to happen, but hopefully shortly after. But it's, uh, it sort of picks up where, where my previous book left off. My first book was called Only Weirdos See UFOs, and it really highlighted a lot of the things we've talked about today, and that is you know, the public's misperception 
about UFOs and extraterrestrial life because the established perception in the public is that UFOs do not exist. And my book goes through and illustrates how we know UFOs do exist and goes through and lists some people, some scientists, some government officials, some military personnel, some uh, you know, college professors, um, just everyday people who either have had experiences, whether UFO sightings or alleged contact with extraterrestrials, or their thoughts on the topic as a whole, and goes in to show how scientists are interested in the topic and do actively research it, governments around the world actively research it. So my new book kind of spins off that, but also presents UFOs in an approachable way, because I think anybody getting into the UFO topic for the first time, when they start looking into um, the UFO research community, they look at a lot of the books that are out there, they look at a lot of the presentations being given by established researchers, it can be off-putting. It can be, you know, a little, uh, I don't know, really not approachable uh, because some people, if not a lot of people who are in the UFO research community like to make UFOs a lot more complicated than they need to be. You know, yes, they can get very complex, like any topic in the world. You can, you know, get philosophical and get, you know, super, super crazy with any topic. But UFOs don't need to be that way and certainly not for, for entering this field and doing your own research. So what I'm doing is providing not a dumbed down version of UFOs by any, any means, but by presenting UFOs in an honest, straightforward fashion to let people know that UFOs aren't as complicated as some make it out to be. And, you know, kind of, kind of uh, just laying UFOs out there and saying, here's what we know, here are the possibilities. And a lot of the, the ideas I shared with you about UFOs being very individual and being something that is an individual journey for us all. And we all have to come to our own conclusions. So that's essentially what the book will be. That's quite a workload you got there for being a retired guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that on top of, you know, I, I do have a full-time job. So yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm a creative person. And if I'm not doing a project, um, I get a little stir crazy. So I love being creative and certainly with the web series, that's super fun. Cause I'm a video guy. I love being able to create that visual content. Um, and with the book, I mean, I, I, I enjoy writing, but like I said, I got to be in the right headspace to really get into the writing mode. I do a lot of writing, um, you know, for, for my day job. Um, and certainly writing about UFOs is more fun, but still I'm a visual person and like seeing words on a page is not as fun for me as seeing like a video come together or seeing like a, you know, something that's, that's a, a, a piece of art in, in Photoshop or something. So I, I, even if I start going down the path of writing some more on the book, I veer over to one of the more visual mediums. Yeah. And well, I got to say that uh, the visuals that you do use, you, you incorporate into your videos and even on your website, it's, it's one of the things that attracted me to your work um, because it's, it's, you use very like mellow mid tones in your, in your artwork. So it's not, it, it's not really like in, you remember like in fifties, sci-fi i'm thinking like the the 
movie poster for War of the Worlds where the real bright neon colors. That's not what you have. Yeah, exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Your 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 artwork, uh, your color tones are, are just a lot more mellow, a lot soothing. And it really drew me to you, to, to the work that you're doing. Um, so just kudos for that. Keep keep going that direction because you're doing something right. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And you know, I mean, I I love a lot of your work and, and your photography. And I think that you and I are going to have to get together sometime and, and do some shooting in, in Nevada because Nevada is is wonderfully strange. I, I love Nevada. I'm, I guess, before pandemic times, I was in Vegas all the time. I love Vegas. And, you know, I'm in Phoenix, so Vegas is an easy playground for me. So Cool. But, yeah, uh, for sure. I, I am open to that. Um, I would even like to go down to that neck of the woods because I have a sister and a brother who live down in that area. Oh, that's Mesa. awesome. You know, I mean, yeah, you're, yeah, you're sure, sure do. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm in Phoenix. So yeah, it's right here. And uh, yeah, you come, uh, we'll, we'll hook up with, with my fellow rogue planeteer, Shane Hurd, and uh, we'll do some sky watching and, and oh, yeah, find some sure. UFOs. And so just before I uh, cut you loose, how can people find your work? Everything I do can usually be found at rogueplanet.tv. That's the website uh, that's kind of the hub for, for everything creative that we do. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Acecentric. That's A-C-E-C-E-N-T-R-I-C. What does that mean? So the part I left out uh, for, from the start of my wonderful career is my, my actual career started out in the music industry. And, uh, you know, it's a nickname that Ace, my name is Jason. And, you know, Ace is a... a nickname for Jason, because if you say Jason, J Ace, <laughs> yeah, it's in there. So um, Ace uh, is just something that the band started calling me, um, you know, that I was working with when I was producing concerts or I had a concert venue and, you know, they, they knew me as Ace in Phoenix. So, you know, Ace kind of became my nickname in the music world. And then when I started uh, doing things on, in, in the digital world, um, you know, I started, I think I'm trying to recall the origin of this. Now you got me thinking this is a really good <laughs> exercise here, but I think it's because, um, you know, I started putting, putting things online that were, you know, my interest, things that were around my, my individual interests. So ACE centric, all things that are centric to me. So it, it, it that brought it all together. Yep. <laughs> ACE centric. Okay. <laughs> Hey, uh, Jason, I appreciate you doing this, man. And I think that's about it. We can wrap it up right here. Uh, thank you for coming on Dead Hand Radio. And hopefully you'll come back on again. Anytime you need me, buddy. Happy to help. Awesome. Man. Take care.